welcome to the Legal Marketing Studio, a podcast devoted to examining successful marketing strategies driving new business development at law firms from the largest international firm to the solo attorney. The podcast is a production of Picture More Business, a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry. I'm Michael Meyer, the host of the Legal Marketing Studio. In this episode, I am joined by Ethan Wall, founder of Social Media Law and & Order and author of the Social Media Guide for Lawyers. Ethan honed his craft for eight years as an internet attorney and keynote speaker, teaching lawyers about the effect of social media on the practice of law. Recognizing social media's expanding presence and the need for rules of the road, he founded Social Media Law & Order to advise lawyers, law firms, and leaders in the legal community as they seek to navigate social media, marketing, and ethics to achieve their desired results. This is part two of my conversation with Ethan, and we'll jump right back in to our conversation with a discussion on content and engagement with digital and specifically social media. So here we go. Well, let's move on to, to content. Content is time-consuming and can be expensive and can be difficult. So how do you minimize the cost of that content? How do you make it effective uh, but still have time to to run your business, you know, to, to, to practice. Going through the planning stage and figuring out your content strategy will help you to narrow this down. So we talked briefly in the, the content planning that you've got really five types of content, website, photos, videos, educational resources, and maybe kind of other media like news, publications, other things that you're going to repurpose. That's really your universe of content. And so by going through the planning process, you might say, going back to that foreclosure defense attorney or uh, foreclosure defense attorney in Los Angeles, you might say the most effective content for me is sharing my blog content to educate people about the foreclosure process and how your firm can help. And so once you've identified that, you've said, really the content that I need are my blogs, and some professional photography that I'm going to share alongside my blogs so that it attracts attention. And when you figure that process out, you've now said, I don't need to invest time and money on developing video content, at least not now. I don't need time and effort in kind of developing a new website. I just want to evaluate to make sure that my blogs, which are going to become my landing pages, meaning where people are going to land for the first time once they click on the link, in my post, I want to make sure that that is professional, that it cross-links to my practice area pages, and that there's an easy-to-submit contact form. So once people get there, they can contact me for more information or subscribe to my email marketing updates. But you know that all you really need are photographs and blogs. And that helps you to figure out what you need to do. So you might just say, all I need is to schedule a one-hour photo shoot to get different photographs of me and my colleagues at the firm around the office that I can use to accompany those blog posts and your content becomes simplified. Uh, you may alternatively then say at some point in the future, I want to create a video series where I'm explaining to people in short 60-second videos about the foreclosure process. So not only do they learn about it, but they get to know more about me and get to get a comfortable feeling that I'm someone that they can connect with before they even meet me. And that's going to give me an advantage to the other foreclosure law firms that are out there. But when you go through the planning process and say, it's going to cost me $2,500 to do a professional video shoot, have it edited, 
and upload it into my website, then you might say, let's just start with photos and blogs, and let's use this content on social media to attract and convert a few different leads to clients. And once I've made my return on investment, I'm going to reinvest that back into the next step, which is to go through the video process and develop that type of content. I believe that the planning process is going to help you focus on what your priorities are for developing content. And then the question comes down to, what do I need to do to my existing content to make sure that it's good to go for social media? And what, if any, additional content do I need to create or commission in order to effectively execute the marketing strategy? As we were getting into it before we started recording, we'd been talking about repurposing content and reusing content and finding ways to maximize every single piece that you create. And I know, you know, on the photo end, I was doing a, a project with a firm back in December, and it was a series of headshots and one particular marquee image for a, for a homepage. But during the shoot, because I was already there, because there was time in the schedule, you know, the marketing director had me shoot a small library of images that were there for social media for future projects. Because I was already there and they were already paying for me to be there, to piggyback on this additional set of shots didn't really add any cost to them. And I think having that planning that you're talking about and saying, you know what, this is what I'm doing today, but I'm going to do this in a year's time. I want to make sure that maybe I, if I'm doing that shoot or I'm doing those blog posts, maybe those blog posts then can get you know, re repurposed as the script for the video. Or if you're doing video or podcasting, those scripts can be, you know, repurposed as blog posts. How important is it to look at not just the immediate content need, but to look at how you can repurpose that content and perhaps produce the content in a way that it can be more easily repurposed? I mean, it's so very important. And it's so important because our time is important. So none of us want to feel like we're wasting time. But when it comes to using and developing content, attorneys, unfortunately, waste time all the time. What do I mean? Let me give you a classic example of when I was working with a litigation firm as an associate for seven years in a wonderful firm, a common scenario that we would hear from our outside marketing person. They would say, you know, Ethan, why don't you write an article about social media legal issues and we'll publish it in the local journal? And so I spent five, seven, maybe 10 hours writing this article that I did some research on and accumulated different blogs that I put together and I created this piece and it gets published in the local daily business review, the local journal, and you know that's wonderful. And then I was done. And maybe I got a call from that article Maybe I didn't. Maybe I got some people who I saw at my next networking event saying, hey, I saw what you wrote that. That's awesome. But otherwise, I didn't really get much feedback. And I invested about seven hours of time into one article, and the only leverage it got was going out in that newspaper. What if I took that same article that I wrote and was able to repurpose this in so many different ways? I mean, from one article, I can just dictate that article and create a short podcast. I can break the article up into three to four components and make three to four different blog posts. I can take that same article and, or those same three to four blogs and break them up into two to three social media posts a piece. And now I've got 12 to 16 pieces of social media content all from that same article. And then perhaps those four or five blogs that I use 
to come up and create that content, I can combine those four or five blogs together into a short white paper or guide on a particular subject matter. And so what I've done is I've spent the same seven hours that I use writing the article. Maybe I spent eight and just figured out how I could repurpose this stuff, but now I've got the article plus four blog posts, plus 12 to 16 social media posts, plus a small podcast, and now I've used and invested that same amount of time and produced all this new content. That's why it's so very important to figure out how you can utilize your content in different ways and how you can leverage or maximize it for marketing, not so much that you get all this great stuff out of it, is that so your investment of time is worthwhile. And while I may or may not receive a quality lead from the article that I publish in the newspaper, my likelihood of creating a new lead as a result of that content grows exponentially when I now share the, that content in the blog, share it on a podcast, and share it on social media because my reach has now grown. And unlike writing that article in the newspaper where the only feedback that I might get is people who call and email me as a result of it, I'll get instant feedback when I get likes, comments, shares, messages from people when I use that content you know, on social media, or if I use that lead magnet guide, that white paper I created to get people to subscribe to my email marketing updates, now I know what the return on investment is. And now I can track those leads and that potential client back to that article writing process and say to myself, I know that this seven hours that I invested was worthwhile from a marketing perspective. I know that it ended up producing, you know, at least $15,000 in revenue because I could track my email subscriber that I used back to this campaign. And therefore, I know that I should repeat this process in the future because it led to new clients and I'm able to demonstrate that through, you know, tracking and analytics. And so that's how making sure that you repurpose and leverage content becomes an effective tool. And that's how you're able to tie it into specific business development objectives and a, you know, trackable turning leads into clients so that it turns into revenue at the end of the day and you can make decisions on how you're going to spend time creating and using content in the future. Also in that, when you're not busy and you've got time to, to spend that seven hours, that 10 hours to produce all that content, it's great to, you know, then it, it sits there because eventually you're going to be busy and you're going to, most attorneys, I assume, have businesses that are a lot like my business where... I'm either ridiculously busy or scrambling for that next project. And when you're scrambling, you have that seven hours to write those pieces of content. But when you're busy, you might not. And if you spend the seven hours writing one article, you've got one article. Uh, but if you are producing a series of content in that time, then when you're busy, you've got that content so that your, your scheduling keeps going. You know, how important is it you know, to make sure that you have enough content so that you have a consistent output uh, over time. How how much you know? How much does the audience expect the social media feeds to be consistently fed with new content? In terms of the audience expectations, it may vary from time to time, but the same underlying principle is true, and that is that when your prospective followers and friends might not need your services all the time. I wish that they did 24-7. It would be terrific. But 
they're only going to need your help or your friends are only going to need their help once a particular situation arises. And they're going to call the attorney with whom they already have an existing relationship with or someone who's top of mind. And so if you're communicating with someone or creating social media content or sending email marketing communications out on a regular basis, it's going to help to make sure that you're top of mind for when that prospective client, friend or colleague, or someone that they know needs an attorney. So that's why it helps. Um, If you have large gaps in your communication and timing, you're not going to be top of mind. Some other attorney who is going to be the one that gets the call. So I can't say it's once a day, once a week, once a month is the right amount for everyone, but having a consistent stream of content is important for that reason. So how can we create a steady stream of content when we're crunched for time and we can't spend all day writing blogs like I can? Um, The answer is writing your content in batches. If you're sitting at a CLE about time management, they're going to tell you don't keep your email inbox open all day. Instead, they're going to say, check your email two to three times a day and do it in batches. And that way, you can be most effective. And if there's an emergency, somebody's going to call you. But in any case, you're checking your email at, I don't know, 10 a.m. after you finished your first big assignment for the day. You're checking it at 1 p.m. after lunch. You're checking it at 4 p.m. before you go. And that's going to make you more effective from a time management standpoint than responding to everybody's email throughout the day. Same thing goes with billing. If I entered into my timesheets and my, my updates as I went on, I'd be constantly distracted away from my work every time I had to put a point one or a point two into the system. But if I just had a sheet where I wrote things down and at the end of the day input my time once, I'd become more effective at doing it. And the same process works with developing content. So by repurposing content in different ways, we help to accomplish that goal. But let's think about, I don't know, the blog writing process. A lot of attorneys think, oh, my gosh, I've got to write a blog. It's going to take way too much time, and they stop doing it. And the reason why this happens is because there's a perception that I've got to spend every week sitting down and writing new blog and social media content. That would be the case if you do things ineffectively from a time management standpoint, but how you could overcome that is just to write your blogs in batches. If you're already sitting down and zeroed into the blog writing process, the amount of time it takes you to write one blog is not going to be significantly different than writing two, three, or four, especially if you can shrink your blog post down into a smaller manageable amount where people still get effective information. Uh, but they're not reading a legal treatise because they don't have time to read the thing anyway. And so by sitting down and writing four to five blogs at once, you know that one, each of your blogs are going to have a consistent theme. Two, they're going to be cohesive in terms of the similar types of writing style because you're doing it all at once. And then what you can do is schedule those blogs to occur, you know, to, to be scheduled once a month or once every two weeks. And at the same time, you can write your three to four pieces of social media content for blogs. And so you sat there in that two to three hour window. You've wrote four to five blogs. And of that, you wrote 10 to 15 social media posts. And this content can then be scheduled over the next month, month and a half, maybe even two months. And so by doing it in batches, you have all this content so that when you become busy, 
and you will become busy, you don't have to freak out and say, oh my gosh, when am I going to write this blog? And you also avoid the situation of staying quiet and being off of your potential client's radar screen so that you don't miss that opportunity to get the call. Then, let's say that you are managing your time well over the next month and a half, and you have a big issue that comes out in the news that you want to write about right now and capture the momentum, you can write that blog and post it immediately and then just reschedule or push back some of the existing types of content that you have. But you won't be able to do that unless you have written out that content in advance. And so spending your time writing content in batches is going to help to ensure that you have a steady stream of content. It's going to limit the amount of time that you spend in creating content. And ultimately, it's going to provide you more flexibility for how you can engage with your audience moving forward. And it also helps you to plan about what you're going to write because you can write about similar subject matter, you know, all at the same particular time. You know, one thing that you touched on that I'd like to just, you know, if you could do a little deeper in, you know, you mentioned that nobody wants to read a legal treatise on your blog, probably. And they certainly don't want to read a treatise, you know, a very arcane treatise on Twitter, if you could even thread it together there. You know, how important is it to recognize the platform and to not necessarily change your personal style, you know, your voice in, in writing or content, whatever it is, but to match the needs of the platform. It's necessary. And the reason that it's necessary is that you need to make sure that the content that you write is optimized for the type of platform that you're on. So what does this mean? A couple of things. Let's take Facebook, for example. Facebook, you can write, you know, I don't know, 2,000 characters. You shouldn't. I don't want you to. There's really very little time that you should ever write more than a couple hundred characters on a Facebook post, but you could if you wanted to. On Twitter, you don't have the luxury. You've got 140 characters. Well, now you've got 280 characters, but you still don't have much. And so if you write for your Facebook page or your Facebook, uh, excuse me, to write the same content for Facebook that you do for Twitter, it's just not going to make sense. And there's going to be half of a tweet with an ellipsis there with, with nothing else that's after it. And people are going to say, well, what the heck are you doing? Either A, you're not making sense, or B, you're not taking the time to publish your content correctly. And a lot of this happens when attorneys try to leverage technology to take shortcuts using a program like Hootsuite or some other scheduling service. Now, what Hootsuite does is enables you to post onto multiple platforms and schedule your post all at once. So you can write a post once, put it on your Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, and have it scheduled for Tuesday at 8 a.m. And while on the one hand, that sounds like a great idea, if you didn't edit your content properly for Twitter, it's not going to work. And also, when you post through Hootsuite or you share something on Facebook and Twitter, it just doesn't look right. It doesn't match up well, and it doesn't even help you with Facebook's algorithms anyway in terms of people being able to see your content. But it's just not the right way to create content. And so what we do when we're helping our law firms develop content is we'll create all their social media content for a given week. Let's say that my client's strategy is to post you know, three posts a week and they're going to use their Facebook page, LinkedIn account, and Twitter. We'll prepare the post for Facebook, 
and then we'll edit the post for Twitter. And so it's still very similar to the same voice, but we've truncated it in a way that's going to be more effective. And we repeat the same process for LinkedIn and maybe even the same process for Instagram. And by creating the content once, then just editing it slightly across the different platforms, we ensure that the content is going to be digested easily and well by the audience. And also, it's not going to take up too much time from your day and having to rewrite the content and redo the voice. While some people might think, Ethan, this is going to take a little bit of time, but I don't have in order to you know, make sure that my content is optimized for each platform. In my opinion, the small investment of time in doing it right is better than the investment of time you took to write the content in the first place and schedule all the platforms and not have it look good because you're going to hurt your reputation and no one's going to want to read your content now or in the future if it's not done correctly. So you've wasted all that time. So I think that by optimizing your content for each platform, you're going to get a larger return on investment in terms of time than by simply sharing things and hoping that it fits. And I suppose that that's a, an easy enough segue to talking about engagement on these platforms. When you were describing, you know, the strategy planning earlier, you used engagement in a much broader way than I would have. You know, how do you think about engagement uh, through social or through digital more broadly? I think of engagement in two different ways. First, I think of it, engagement is, is in where are you going to engage someone, meaning on what platform and using what profile. That's really just the starting point for engagement. Where are you going to engage your target clients? Then once you've made a decision about how, or excuse me, where you're going to engage them, then the question is how are you going to engage your target clients? And that's likely more where you're, you're envisioning the engagement process. Engagement is the key to developing clients on social media or digital marketing. Meaning, if you just have content and you're posting it every once in a while, but your content isn't created in a way that's going to engage your target audience by eliciting a response, or if people are responding to your content and you're taking a day, two days, three days to get back to someone, you're not effectively engaging people in communication. The analogy is going to a networking event and striking up a conversation that's completely boring and then not responding to somebody. Like, let's say, Michael, I met you. And I walk up to you and said, hey, Michael, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Ethan Wall. I practice social media law. I can help you with your trademarks and your social media compliance. You're going to, like, look at me like, uh, okay, I don't want to engage with you because the content you're talking to me about is boring. Or if I insist that, hey, Michael, what do you think about the new changes to United States copyright law on social media, you said, oh, wow, this is really interesting to me. In fact, I write a blog, and I'm not sure about my ability to use photos that I find on Google. What do you think? And I just sit there like this. Then a day later, I text you, and I say, oh, hey, Michael, it was great meeting you yesterday. Yeah, I think that uh, the new changes to copyright law make it difficult for content owners. So, but here's a good resource that I wrote about in my blog that you should read about. No, you're going to be like, well, what the heck? I'm not going to go read that guy's blog. He's not responding to me timely. So that's what engagement is all about. The same types of principles that go into engaging with somebody in the traditional format apply to social media, meaning you want to make your content engaging. You want to invite people to start the discussion, to 
comment on your post, to continue the conversation, or to be so attracted by the photo and the question that you're posing that they want to click on the link in your post and go back to your blog. Um, that's what it means to create engaging content. And then you want to make sure that when people do engage with your content, that you engage back and engage back in a, in a way that they would expect someone to do as part of a conversation itself. And so when I talk about creating a social media post for engagement, I think the post always is going to have, or usually will have, three different elements. The caption, the content, which might be a photograph that's posted, and the link. And you want to make sure that when you are creating the caption for your content, it's written in an engaging way. It might be something like the example I had. You know, what do you think about the changes to U.S. copyright law? Or do you take images from Google and use them on your website? Question mark. Both of those types of things are going to elicit some kind of response from someone who's interested. They're either going to comment and say, so yes, I do. Is there anything wrong with that? Because I found the image online, therefore it should be free for me to use, right? And then I can engage that content. Or if my content says something like, do you use images that you find on Google for your website? Question mark. You could be sued if you do, period, and there's a link. And I'm someone who takes images offline using my website. I'm engaged by that content. I'm going to click on that link and I'm going to want to learn more. So that type of content is different from, hi, I'm Ethan, I practice social media law, and I can help you with copyright issues with your you know, online content. That's something that nobody wants to engage with. So you want to make sure that once you have selected the right platform, have the right content that you're going to want to share, that you share it in an engaging manner, and that you engage with your audience, especially those people who take the time to respond and engage with you. And that's going to create the type of conversation that you want that's going to lead to the right types of relationships. So it's going to, it's going to result in creating the types of content that you're going to need to develop your Facebook followers and friends and colleagues into leads by coming back to your website, reading your blog, becoming subscribed to your newsletter, learning more, whatever it might be. Yeah, that was a question I was going to kind of conclude the engagement section with was how much that engagement with with the audience is driven by how you approach the platforms and how much of it is just luck. And you seem to really say that it is about how you use the platforms and how you build your strategy around encouraging engagement, right? Is, is that fair? It's not going to, because I sometimes, I mean, and I'm I'm guilty of this myself, sometimes I dismiss social media as being, you know, it's too much throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks, but really there is some strategic element to it in terms of how you use the platforms and how you use them effectively. There's a ton of strategy. And I think it starts with strategic content, and then you need to let it flow and see where the conversations might go from there. Let me give you an example of why I think that strategy is important when it comes to social media. I had an attorney who practices family law in the Texas area call me this week. And they said, look, I'm evaluating PPC, and I'm evaluating social media. And my thought process is to go with PPC because social media is not good for generating leads. At least that's what I've heard. Is that true? And I said, blow my whistle, time out. First of all, PPC might be the right option for you because you can develop an immediate stream of potential clients. 
where social media might take it a little bit longer in the client generation process, depending upon your strategy. But putting that issue aside for the moment, it is true that if you are just sharing content on, let's say, your law firm's Facebook page once a week, and you've got a couple hundred followers, and you're not running any targeted marketing or advertising, you're probably not really using much of a strategy. Or if that is your strategy, it's not going to be particularly effective. Why? One, the content that you're sharing with your 300 followers is likely not going to go to all 300 of your followers because either A, they're not all signing on to Facebook that day, or B, Facebook's algorithm is not displaying the content to all of your followers. It may be seen by 20 or 30 people. Just by just creating content for social media on a routine basis, even if it's great content, it's not going to help to get you results. You're either not using a strategy or it's an ineffective strategy. Now, let's take that same example from a different approach. Let's say that you're using social media for purposes of, I don't know, attracting family law clients in and around, you know, the greater Austin area. And now your strategy is I'm going to create a checklist about the five things that everyone who wants to consider divorce in Texas needs to know about the law. I'm then sharing that content to my prime demographic using Facebook's targeted marketing, and I'm posting this you know, checklist once a week, or then I'm posting a blog the next week, or I'm posting like a lead magnet, little white paper guide the week after that. By doing that type of sharing, that type of strategy, I know that I'm targeting the right clients. And I know that everybody who clicks to download my checklist or read my blog or download my resource, I know that all those people are interested. And I know that I can retarget to them later with other content because I've rolled out that strategy effectively. So I do think a strategy is important. Because if not, you are just throwing paint up against the wall. And I can guarantee you, you're not going to get the same types of results that you did unless you planned out that strategy in the beginning. So in the beginning of this call, you and I were like, well, what's the 2018 digital landscape? How important is social media? Should attorneys be there? And the answer is yes, of course it's important. And they need to be there. And having a profile and sharing content every once in a while is definitely better and not having a presence or not sharing content at all. But there is still a better strategy to attract clients. And I feel like once you have developed that right type of strategy, it's easier for you to figure out your content, easier for you to figure out how to engage your audience, and you're going to see better results and faster. And that's really what you want out of your marketing campaigns, regardless if they're on social media or really anywhere else. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Legal Marketing Studio podcast. This is part two of three of my conversation with Ethan Wall. Uh, here we were discussing content and engagement. In the next and final installment of this series of three podcasts, uh, we're going to talk about the ethical rules that can be a challenge for attorneys in fully utilizing social media. I hope you'll come back and join us for that one. Thank you, though, for joining us for this episode the Legal Marketing Studio is a production of Picture More Business. 
Uh, we are a corporate photography studio with a core focus on the legal industry based in Brooklyn, New York, and working with clients nationally. We'd love to explore collaborative opportunities. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you.